I've titled the message this morning, The God of the South. I've titled it that on purpose. I'm talking about the God of the Southern Kingdom. You know that when Israel was divided under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, Israel got split up into two parts, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, or also called Israel in the North and Judah in the South. I want to bring up, though the entire message won't be devoted to this, I want to bring up how there were some similarities between the God that was being portrayed in the southern kingdom and the God that's portrayed here in the south, the southern United States. So notice in verse 9, who is this about? Who's this text about? It's concerning the prophets. This is a word from God through Jeremiah to the prophets of his day. And Jeremiah in verse 9 describes his condition. Look at his condition in verse 9. My heart's broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man overcome with wine. And then he tells us why. Because of the Lord and because of his words. Why is Jeremiah's condition like this? Well, because he understands that God's words are holy. He understands that God's words are holy, and his condition is like this because of the condition of the people, namely the prophets and the priests, we're going to see. He says he's like this. Look at verse 10. For, that's because. Why is his heart broken? Why are all his bones shaken? Why is he like a drunken man? For, verse 10, the land is full of adulterers because of the curse, the land mourns, and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. He's talking about a famine that God said would come upon the land because the Lord had promised to send the early rains and the latter rains if the people obeyed him, if they walked in accordance to his covenant. In Deuteronomy, he mentions that. So because they're not doing that, there's this famine in the land. But we know it's not just a famine physically. It's also a famine spiritually too, a famine of the word. So Jeremiah's condition, because he understands God's word is holy, is like we see in verse 9, and that's because the condition of the people, namely the prophets and the priests, because they don't understand that God's word is holy. Listen to this from Warren Wiersbe. He says this, True prophets know how serious it is to be called by God to declare his word. And they accept the responsibility with fear and trembling. When they see self-styled prophets living like sinners, it grieves them. He says, No wonder Jeremiah had a broken heart. And trembled like a drunken man. He realized what the false prophets were doing to the people of the land. And it made him sick. Unquote. Warren Wearsby. That is an appropriate response. To seeing the land polluted with false teaching. Which then pollutes the lives of the people who hear it. Because what you believe affects how you live. You know that. That's why right doctrine is so important. That's why Paul said to Timothy, keep a close watch on your life and, he says, the doctrine. For by so doing, you'll save both yourselves and those who hear you. Really, Paul? You're telling me that right doctrine has an effect upon my life? Absolutely it does. That's what's going on here. That's why Jeremiah is like this. That's why he is physically shaken. He's physically affected. Have you ever been physically affected by sin 
in the land, sin in your own home maybe, your own sin. I have been. I've felt nauseous. I've felt horrible. I've just had physical effects because of wickedness. My own sometimes, hatred of it, and others that I see it out in the land. It should affect you. And if it doesn't, why is that? Are you numb to your own sin, to the sin of the land? Has your conscience been seared? Ask God to soften your heart and ask him to make you sin sensitive and repent. And God receives sinners. Know that. He is gracious to the contrite heart. Both, verse 11, both prophet and priest are ungodly. (laughs) So those who speak the word and those who rightly care for the things of worship. So those who speak the word and those who care for the objects of worship, the temple, worship service, because that's why he says, even in my house, and now this is God speaking, the first portion is when prophets prophesy, sometimes they will dance between what they're saying or feeling and what God has been saying. And we see that here because he says, my heart's broken within me, all my bones shake. And then later on in verse 11, he says, even in my house, I have found their evil. This isn't Jeremiah saying, yeah, they, they came in my house. No, he's saying the temple. This is God saying, my house, the temple. Even in the temple, he says, I have found their evil. See, this, these are people of God who are not seeing God's word as holy like they ought to be. And Jeremiah understands and trembles at God's word. God even says in Isaiah, but to this one I will look. He who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. That's the one that God looks at and says, that's my child. This is the one I put my affection on. This is the one I bless. Humble, contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So what's God going to do about this? In verse 12, therefore, because they're evil, because their course is evil, because their might is not right, because they're adulterers, all these things that we found in verse 10 and 11, therefore their way shall be to them. How's it going to be, God? Tell us. What's their way going to be like? Three things. Like slippery paths in the darkness. It's bad enough to be in the darkness, stumbling around, not knowing where you're going. Who in here has not stubbed your toe on something in the dark or hit your shin? Why? Because you can't see where you're going. Well, add that to it being slippery. Like slippery paths in the darkness into which they shall be driven and fall. Who's going to drive them there but the Lord? The Lord saying, I'm pushing them in that way. And they will fall. Not only is it dark, I've made it slippery. They are going to fall. Why? Because they deserve it. They've done evil on purpose. They've been selfish. They've taught lies and led God's people into all types of sin and foolishness and wickedness. And this is what they're going to get for that. You need to understand that those who stand in this position that I'm standing in and proclaim God's word, you need to understand that they're held to a higher standard. They are. 
which is why Jeremiah has this physical effect to what's going on, which is why even sometimes if I'm ever watching some sort of modern-day false teacher online, my children can tell, and Amy can tell, because I'm usually yelling at the screen. That's not true! Haven't you read Matthew 5? Duh! That can't be true if you... And they're like, Dad, turn it off. (laughs) Stop. And I can't watch them much because I get so angry. Why? Because they're holding something holy as if it's just this frivolous thing that they can use for their own gain, their own popularity. And it makes me so mad. Why? Because God's made me care about it. I didn't give a rip about truth or holiness or righteousness before he saved me. And now that he's saved me, I see This is his holy word. This is how he reveals himself to us. And you're playing with it like a toy for your own gain. And it makes me mad. And it should make you mad. And it should also make you mad when you handle it wrongly in your own life, shouldn't it? You should be just as angry at your own sin as you are at the sins of others, if not more so. So I'm definitely not saying we all need to stand over these false teachers and say, boy, you're a loser and look how good we are. No, not unless you've done that to yourself first. God says in verse 12, I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment. God has a time destined for everyone who deserves his wrath. In the year of their punishment, it will come. God has a day set forth for everyone who has not turned from his sins or her sins. Is your day coming? Or did your day fall upon Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago when he took the punishment for sinners upon the cross? He took the punishment for sinners upon the cross. He took it. He took God's wrath and drank it down every last drop of it. And he rose again on the third day. And for those who've repented and put their faith in him, there will be no year of punishment for you. The year of your punishment was 2,000 years ago upon Jesus Christ. However, those of you who are taking this lightly, there's a time for you, declares the Lord, just like for these prophets. Verse 13, in the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. So now he's talking about the northern kingdom. In Samaria, that was a part of the northern kingdom. They've already been taken away, by the way. The Assyrians came in the year 722 B.C. and carried them off. They were more wicked than the southern kingdom. Southern kingdom was more religious for a bit longer. And God said, you know, I saw an unsavory thing in the north. The prophet, they prophesied by Baal and led my people astray. He said, that's not good. It was unsavory. What's something that's savory? It means it's tasteful. You say, mm, this is a savory dish. Mm, I like the way it tastes. Unsavory. This tasted bad to me. It left a bitter taste in my mouth, God said, about these prophets who prophesied by Baal. But let me tell you about this. In the prophets of Jerusalem, this is supposed to be the place where it's more holy. The str- it, they held on to truth a bit longer down here than they did up north. They didn't throw it away so quickly. And Jerusalem, that's where the temple is. Remember? But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. Up north, it was unsavory. He says, this is horrible. Why is it so horrible, God? They... The prophets. We're not just talking about rebellious teens in the streets. We're talking about prophets who stand up and says, 
who say, thus says Yahweh. They commit adultery and walk in lies and strengthen the hands of evildoers. They help evil people be more evil. Prophets. And what's the result of that? Verse 14, so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become to me like, oh my gosh, like who? Sodom and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. This is comparing Jerusalem to Sodom and Gomorrah. You have to know how scathing this would be to the people hearing this. They would have said, excuse me? What did you just say to me? You're comparing us here who worship in the temple and who speak on behalf of Yahweh, the Jews here in the south, you're saying we're like Sodom and Gomorrah? Jeremiah, you are some kind of fool and you better leave quickly before we stone you. I can't believe you would say that to me. It's like when I've said to people in the past here in the south who believe that they're saved, you know, because they walked the aisle when they were 11 and got dunked the very next week by some pastor, and they believe that they're saved. By dunked, I mean baptized children. And then, years later, they're living like the devil, and I bring up, maybe you're struggling with this and that because maybe you need to come to know the Lord. And the anger that comes over their face, how dare you, how dare you say to me that you think I'm not saved? I walked the aisle and said a prayer, and I was baptized by Pastor so-and-so. And like so many pastors here in the South do, they just pronounce salvation over you like the Pope when you say the sinner's prayer. It's not magic. I don't care if you said the sinner's prayer and got baptized. Some of you just said words and got wet. If your life has not changed, if you don't love holiness and hate wickedness, I don't care what you've done. What your life shows is that you don't know the Lord. And that's what these people were doing. Look, they were committing adultery and lying and helping evil people do evil things. And they were like, well, of course we're God's people. Duh, we're Jews. This is the God that was being presented in the southern kingdom. And he's very similar to the God that's being presented here in the south by a lot of people. Verse 15, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets. These prophets, more judgment. We had judgment already in verse 12. Slippery paths in the darkness into which they shall be driven and fall. Disaster is going to be coming in the year of their punishment. What else? Behold, God says, verse 15, I'll feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. Now, whether this is literal or figurative, I personally think it's figurative. However, there was a time when Israel sinned when they were, giving, they were given bitter water by Moses. Remember when he comes down from the mountain and sees the golden calf? What's he do to the golden calf? Grinds it up into powder, puts it in water, and says, drink it. And they drink it. So could this be literal? Maybe. I personally think it's probably figurative. Because what's come out of their mouth? Lies, 
falsehoods and things that have created destruction in the land. And so therefore, he says, because what's coming out of your mouth, you know what I'm going to put in your mouth? Poison food and water. Bitter poison food. That's what I'm going to feed you with. Your punishment is going to equal what has come out of your mouth. That's what I think he's saying. I think it's just another form of saying this is how your punishment is going to be. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into the land. See, they are, because of their wrong teaching, they are producing more wickedness in the land. Don't you see that? I mean, I'm not making this up, right? For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. And he's already said that in verse 14, because of this horrible thing that they do, no one turns from evil. See, that's what's supposed to be the result of right preaching. It's supposed to be that when God's people preach the truth, it creates a reflex in people to say, I need to turn away from my sin and wickedness. I need to live holy. That's what's supposed to be the result of right teaching, is right living. It's supposed to make people say, ooh, he's right, that's right, and therefore I'm wrong, and I want to turn, and I want to be godly. I want God to forgive me. So look at verse 16 now. It says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. You see, this is interesting because, as you might remember, the Lord Jesus, when he was in the temple and he saw the holy people in the holy place being corrupted, he had a response to that. Jeremiah 7, verses 8 through 11, say this, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, Become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Jesus, when he said, in the temple, my house shall be called a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves or a den of robbers. He's quoting this. He's comparing the people of that day to the people of this day. Did you know that? Jesus Jesus didn't just come up with that, though he could have just come up with it. It would have been perfect, because everything he says is perfect. No, he's borrowing from Scripture. It would have been even more scathing to the people of that day because they would have said, whoa, 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 we know that part of Jeremiah. Are you saying we're like them? Jesus says, absolutely. Absolutely, you're like them. You've become just like them because they could look the Messiah right in the face and say, you have a demon in you, which they said to him. And look, look, in the part that I just read in Jeremiah 7, this is a lot like people in the South who think they know the Lord but live wickedly. Because it says you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after the gods, then come and stand before me in my house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered, I'm saved. All of us, I think, have heard just some 
horrible stuff that was done by someone, and then someone followed it with, and he's a deacon in his church. Right? I see a few of you nodding your head and smiling because you're like, yeah, Cohen, I, yes, I've, <laughs> I know a guy, or I heard about a guy. But guess what? He's saved, isn't he? He's saved. I remember, I was there that Sunday, he walked the aisle, said the prayer when Mr. Big Shot Preacher Man came and did a revival. So, so, so he's saved. Yeah, yeah, I know, he steals and lies, and I know he committed adultery on his wife, but you know, he's a deacon, so he's in, right? Just like they said, we're delivered, wrong. Enough, enough of this. Enough of this God that's being portrayed in the South. He's not the God of the Bible. And the truth that's being put out there, you can walk out, you can say a prayer, you can do all this, and you can live like the devil. And guess what? You'll just lose some rewards in heaven. I heard a mom say that once about her son who was off in the world, living badly. She says, well, I keep telling him he's, he's losing some of his rewards in heaven. He doesn't care about rewards in heaven. He cares about rewards on earth because he's worldly and he's of the world. Do you really, really think sinners who love their sin and are living in gross open sin, cussing like sailors and living like the devil, do you really think they're kept up at night thinking, oh gosh, I bet I'm losing some rewards in heaven? Are you kidding me? They don't care about rewards in heaven. They care about rewards on earth because they're of the world. Verse 16, thus says the Lord, don't listen to them. Don't listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling filling you with vain hopes. What do they speak, Jeremiah? Tell us. Well, Lord, tell us. They speak visions. Where are those visions from? Of their own minds. Not from the mouth of the Lord. See, that's what they're supposed to be proclaiming. All people who speak on behalf of the Lord are supposed to speak the words of the Lord, not anything from their own minds. It says this, they say continually, here's their message, they say continually, but they're saying it to certain people. Who are they saying it to? They say continually, to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster will come upon you. See, their message is a false message. And they're telling people who hate God's word and love their sin. They got love and hate in them. And it hasn't been switched yet. Because that's how you know that you've been saved. Is you go from not caring about God's word to loving God's word. And you go from loving your sin to hating your sin. So that's really the test of, are you saved? Okay, two things, love and hate. Just remember those two words. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give you an easy thing to use in your life because a lot of us struggle with, is he saved? I don't know. Is my son saved? I don't know. Is my uncle saved? I don't know. Am I saved? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Two easy things. Just remember love and hate. Do you love God's word, and do you hate your sin? And again, of course, none of us love it perfectly. None of us hate our sin perfectly. But I mean, is it there at all? Do you love God's word, and do you hate your sin? These people were the opposite. 
they despised God's word and stubbornly followed their own heart. They loved their sin. And what were the prophets saying to them? You're good. It shall be well with you. No disaster shall come upon you. You're not going to be judged. Forget what Jeremiah is saying. It's not going to happen. He's a kook and a weirdo, and he's narrow-minded. We're a bit more open-minded over here. We understand that, you know, there's many ways, and there's many, there's, there's many ways to God, and there's many ways to worship God. And who's to say that it's his way? We think it's this way. You're good. You're good. Sound familiar? They despise the word of the Lord, and they stubbornly follow their own heart and say, no disaster is going to come upon you. Homosexual, no problem. You're good too. Adulterer, that's fine. Everybody makes mistakes. You're good. Don't worry about it. And again, is there forgiveness for these things? 100%. God saves adulterers. How do I know that? King David, remember him? Not only committed adultery, but then murdered her husband. I'd say that's pretty bad, right? He went to the Lord with a deep prayer of confession. Read Psalm 51. That's his prayer of confession after that horrible sin. And God forgave him. So God can change you. God can save sinners. And he does that. We're no better than anyone else. We're simply forgiven. And we now simply love the truth and stand on the truth. But here's these people walking in this way headstrong, just going out there and saying, you're good, you're fine, nothing's going to happen to you. But then we see something is going to happen to them. John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote a lot of different things in poem form, and this one's just stuck with me, and it's applicable to what's going on here. He said this, shall those who wrongly begin rightly end Will they at all have safety for their friend? No, no. In headstrong manner they set out, but headlong will they fall at last. No doubt. They've wrongly begun because they didn't start with God's word. And so they're going to wrong, they're gonna wrongly end as well. They think they're doing right, though, by throwing God's word away and saying, we're open-minded. You know, we're just more inclusive than that narrow guy over there. But they're going to, wrong, they're going to end badly. And here they are headstrong in what they're doing, but they're going to fall headlong. No doubt. Their message, it's a false message. Verse 18. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord? Number one. Number two, to see and hear his word. Or who has, number three, paid attention to his word and listened? Of course, the answer is none of them. None of them have stood in the counsel of God to see and hear his word or paid attention to his word and listened to it. They don't do that. That's not their custom. That's not their way. We've already seen their way. Speak visions in their own minds and give their own message. So what's God going to do? More judgment. We get three different parts in this section where he talks about judgment. Remember, slippery places in the darkness, driven into it. A disaster is going to come upon them in this year of their punishment. Behold, I'm going to feed to them bitter food, poison water. Now here's the third portion, verses 19 and 20. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon their head. Now, it'll burst upon the head of the wicked. 
anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. Earlier, he was talking about their own minds, what they've come up with their own minds, what's in their hearts and minds, that's coming out in their messages. Well, now this is what's in God's heart. He's actually going to be committed to what's in his heart. We see the people earlier stubbornly following their own heart, prophesies, prophets prophesying according to their own mind. Well, what's in God's heart? Justice. Justice. We all want that. You all want justice. You've been angered in the past, I'm sure you have, that our system, our justice system here in the world is not better than it is, right? I don't like the fact that someone can do such a horrible crime, horrible, and get off really easily or pay enough money and they're gone, right? I don't like that. You don't like it either. You want wickedness to get the appropriate punishment. Well, God's the ultimate judge. He can't be bribed. He's never going to be, eh, maybe this, maybe that. No. His anger will burn, it says, and his will will be executed and accomplished perfectly. And it says in the latter days, you'll understand it clearly. So earlier we saw that the prophets, their message was a false methods, message. Now we're going to see in verse 21 that they have a false authority. Look at verse 21. I didn't send the prophets, yet they ran. Remember how I said headstrong they set out? But headlong would they fall at last, no doubt? Here they go. I didn't send the prophets, yet they ran. I didn't speak, yet they prophesied. They're just doing it headstrong. They're doing it because they want to do it. This is what we want to do. How'd that work out for Nadab and Abihu? The sons of Aaron who said, we think we'll just offer incense for funsies. We'll do it our way. Let's see what happens. It didn't end well for them. They died, in case you don't know who they are. Fire from God's altar came out and consumed them. And unless you're thinking, because I just kind of sense it, someone's thinking in here, possibly, or online, wow, this God, he's sort of hot-headed. I mean, he's just, he's just wanting to slug these people. You don't understand how wicked they are. You don't understand how wicked they've made the land. You don't understand that these adulteries and lies and evil that they're doing, they affect people's families, okay? This is daddy running off with another woman. This is mommy running off with another man, okay? These are strengthening the hands of evildoers, evil people that steal and rob. These prophets are helping them do that. This affects families. This affects children, it affects how worship is done in the temple. So don't think, gosh, this God, he's just, ooh, he's just angry. I don't like him. You'd like him if it happened to you. If the evil that happened to you, you would want justice. You'd think differently then. He's going to execute his justice upon evil wherever it's found. So these prophets... They had a false message, and now we see in verse 21, they have a false authority. They are their own authority. God didn't send them. God didn't say go. God didn't say speak, yet they're doing it. They're speaking on their own authority. They have a false message, and they have a false authority. And verse 22 is where I'm going to end, because this is really the thrust here. Look at this. There's so much here. There's so much more I could have added. There's just so much here. I had to pick what to leave out. 
Verse 22. But if they had stood in my counsel. Now notice that's the word counsel. Like a group of people. This isn't counsel like advice. But these are. This is referring to being among those who advise rightly. If they stood in my counsel. Then they would have what? Proclaimed my words. To my people. And what would have been the result? They would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. I think one reason why we see more evil in the land, even in the Bible Belt, than where it should be is because of false prophets, false teachers, false truth in the home or no truth in the home of people who go to church and say, oh yeah, yeah, I believe this, I believe this. And you question them, though, because I've, as a pastor, I've done this many, many different people, many different ways for years, even prior to being a pastor, just witnessing to people. You, you talk to them. And not trying to talk to them in such a way like, ah, I got you. No, 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 just talking to them. And asking them simple questions about whether or not they actually live out what's in the Bible, actually read it. And I find out, not much. Don't read it much. Don't really live it out much. Don't really care to, frankly. And that's why so much evil is in the land, because we've turned away from the Word of God, period. I was having a conversation with my oldest son the other day. We were in agreement about all the evil that's in the land. And I said, well, I know why it's that way, because we've turned away from the Word of God. It's that simple. And we have people on TV, they, TV and in pulpits that tell us it's okay. It's okay to turn away from the Word of God. I heard a story just last week about a lady that was going to be leaving her church because she heard that there were some liberal beliefs, and so she, she asked the pastor about it at a Methodist church. Well, are we okay with this, homosexuality in the church and all this? And... The pastor said to her, this is what he said, don't you believe Jesus is gender fluid? That's what the pastor said. No, pastor, I believe Jesus is who he says he is in the word of God. That's what I believe because that's what's true. He is who he says he is. And that's what we need more people just standing on the word of God, simply saying what it says. That would fix so much just saying what it says. Even if these people did nothing more than just stand up and say, I'm just going to read for half an hour. No sermon, just read. That would fix so much. The people actually believed it. So here's the mark of a true prophet. Three things are the mark of a true prophet, and I'll end with this. The true prophet of God is going to do these three things. He's going to proclaim the word of God to the people of God to turn them to God and away from sin. That's what verse 22 says. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have what? Proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil deeds. And that's simply what the text says. The true prophet is going to do this. Proclaim the word of God to the people of God to turn them to God and away from sin. Otherwise, he's a false prophet. And he's presenting a false God. Like the God of the southern kingdom, 
and so often, like the God here in the South. Father, please help us to stick closely to your truth and to love it and with your grace to live it. And we thank you that we can even live in it and would even want to be in it because of Jesus who can change the heart, who receives sinners and forgives them because he's taken the punishment for sinners already. So Father, I come to you in his name asking that you would please help us to love your word and to live your word and to be those people that you came for. Lord, we love you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.